and then you got your dubs. And if you're a subs guy, you know that you're all blah 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 all the time, so you can just read it on the screen. And if you're a dubs guy, you like to listen real well, but it's because you can't read. What do you want, subs and dubs? What is it? Wubble wubble. <laughs> Weeb Cosby. Yes, our new, our new joint improv character that we're going to take. <laughs> yeah, there, there will be nothing frustrating or problematic about two nerdy white guys taking a stage and turn by turn doing improvisational takes on a rapist and how much he likes anime. <laughs> this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Kyle. Uh, Kyle, I have a big admission for you. Yes? I think I really like today's episode. Oh, really? That's yeah. That's interesting. Um, well, I will say, I didn't like it so much as I felt I felt a sense of relief watching it. I was like, yes, this is, this is exactly, we're back in whatever wheelhouse Big Bang Theory belongs in. Yeah, yeah. It's well, you know, let's not even waste time. Let's just go right into the short summary and then we can talk about why this is in the wheelhouse. Um so this there's an A plot and a B plot. The A plot, I think Kyle and I weren't well, Kyle I think was pretty sure that the A plot has to do with the uh the cricket that appears in this episode. It's the episode starts with um all the nerds of the comic book shop and Leonard revealing to them that the night before he had with Penny and their their animalistic sexual encounter was fine. That it wasn't really what either of them expected, and they both felt really weird about it. And later at dinner, the nerds bring this up in front of Penny, who then runs into her apartment, and Leonard chases after her. And this is where the episode splits in two. Um, the A-plot is the Sheldon, Wallowitz, and Raj sitting around eating dinner. They hear a cricket... And then Sheldon and Wallowitz spend the entire rest of the episode trying to identify the cricket. Uh, they put a bet on it. Uh, Wallowitz is going to wage an issue of his Fantastic Four, the first one with the Silver Surfer. And Sheldon puts up a uh, issue of The Flash, but I didn't really understand the significance of that issue, if there is. Uh, do you want... Uh, okay, just a second. I'm trying to figure out... I'm buffering. I'm condensing here. The issue is the flash of the of two worlds. It was the issue that actually introduced the concept of the multiverse to the DC universe. Uh. The Flash, Barry Allen, the Flash, who's the version most people think of, meets the Golden Age version of the Flash, the first Flash, who has a bucket on his head. Nice, you know, and uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. It sets like the groundwork for like the crisis on infinite Earths and basically the entire cosmology. All right. Of the DC universe. But originally, the original pitch for it was just like, hey, we created two different characters who have the same powers and they're both the Flash, but we never really explained how they're related to each other. So we should probably do that. Cool. Well, that is the issue. And the that answer that they come up with is that the Golden Age Flash exists in an alternate dimension that can only be accessed through the dreams of people in our universe I'm sorry, in the mainstream Flash's universe, and those people turned those dreams in the comic books. So the Barry Allen Flash named himself the Flash because he was a fan of the World War II comic books about the Flash that were actually based on the adventures of a character named the Flash in another dimension that were transmitted into the multiverse through dreams. I hope... That means that there is a comic book in another universe 
based off of my uh, my adventures, and that when I dream of things like uh, when I was when I was a little kid, I used to have dreams of uh, Metroid. I had like a recurring no, ooh, I had the worst recurring dream actually. I just remembered this of where I got locked in my bathroom at, at uh, a house I was living in when I was like fourteen, and Freddy Krueger uh, starts speaking to me through a PA system into the bathroom. And he reveals a switchboard that I had never previously seen in my home, each of which has a... Uh, it, the, each switch is one of the different ways I can choose to die. And so I have to, I have to choose my, my, my death. And there were things like being thrown in a cave with a boulder in it to starve to death as a hermit, or to have metal termites come into the bathroom and eat me alive. And so that happened to somebody in a different universe. I started to say, I don't think that... I think by the very definition of how freddy krueger works i don't think that has to be set in a different universe i think you were just attacked by oh no by the dream warrior himself whoa 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 okay we're oh, not I'm even sorry. through the summary but motherfucker that is mm, is that mm. not how that movie works the it's, dream warriors are the ones who have to battle freddy krueger oh i just assume they assemble in the third movie it's a bunch of teens who are living in a uh, in a mental hospital because they've all had Kruger encounters and they're trying to deal with the consequences of that and whether any of it was real. Okay, so I only ever saw the first two, so I assume the Dream Warriors were okay. like Freddy Krueger and Freddy Krueger's gay son that he yeah, has yeah. in the so second you, you've one. You've seen the only legitimately good one and the super gay one that everyone loves because it's so super gay. <laughs> yes. Man, okay, I've got <laughs> I got an idea for a nerd recommendation all of a sudden. Um, okay, where the hell were we on the actual show? Uh, I was exp- so they're, they're wagering, wagering their, comic their comic books, books. over whether this cricket is one type of cricket or a different type of cricket. And and, and that- I was like, well, surely this will resolve itself quickly, so we can get on to whatever the main plot of this episode is. It is two thirds, if not three quarters, of the time of the episode, uh, and it involves searching the entire apartment, top to bottom. Uh, it, uh, I don't know how Sheldon gets down there, like rappelling into the elevator shaft to look for it, eventually finding it outside, taking it to a disgruntled, recently let go uh, entomologist played by Lewis Black, uh, before ultimately revealing that uh, Wallowitz was right about it being a common field cricket that they were all hearing, and then Sheldon having to give up his comic book. Meanwhile, Leonard and Penny both accept the fact that they had a mediocre night of sex and are trying to address how to handle that. And so what they decide to do is just to get really stupid drunk together so their their natural uninhibited horniness will take over. And instead, they both just end up getting so drunk that they go to the bathroom together to vomit into different uh, into the toilet, into the sink. And then later on, in the episode ends with um, Sheldon coming home defeated talking with penny briefly about the encounter and saying you know you guys could always just go back to being friends one of the few like maybe genuinely helpful things sheldon has ever said uh penny takes the advice to heart for approximately 30 seconds before leonard comes up to ask her how things are and then penny latches on to him and they start sucking face again and that is how the episode ends and the name of today's episode is the Jiminy Conjecture, based around the cricket. Get it? There is a cricket. Yes. The cricket's actual name is Toby, by the way. Well, but everybody agrees that that's a dumb name for a cricket. Not I mean, I don't. Raj and Wallowitz think it's great. I don't think it's a dumb name either, but... Yeah, if you're going to name a... I mean, what would be a dumb name for a cricket? 
Actually, Let's not to be honest, no. To be honest, I feel like Jiminy is a dumb name for a cricket. It's because it's just it's taken. It's like, you know, it's like naming your dog Lassie or something like that. It's That's like true. a sign that you're completely creatively bankrupt. Yeah, I, there must be a whole category of names in which Jiminy is included, from which you have to draw a uh, a name for a. I keep wanting to say cockroach cricket. Um. But I don't know where that database is and why names that are not in that database wouldn't be appropriate. Like, I'm assuming that it, it's like when you name dwarves, like, uh, except now it's like Jiminy, Jaminy, Jominy, Hominy. I'd Hominy. name him. Yeah. I'd name him Steve Irwin II. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Because he keeps saying crikey. Kyle, you know, I'm excited about this episode, but now I'm realizing how do we pull this one apart? There wasn't anything in this that was particularly offensive to me. And that's the only way we really know how to talk about this show. Yeah, it's like what things that make us angry. Uh, I don't know. Drunk Penny is super cute, and that's fun. I guess we can talk about the weird relationship there where um, trying to salvage a failed sexual encounter and also the faith that your friends have in you regarding that. It's They were all taking the other nerds uh, adjacent to Penny and Leonard were all betting on how soon their relationship would end. And uh, I think Sheldon won a bet, giving it approximately 24 hours. And I think it's implied that Wallowitz had the uh, Leonard is not going to be able to get it up bet, which um, wasn't the case, but was close to it, I guess, because of the, uh, the awkwardness of the sex. But I don't like, I mean, for me... Every sexual encounter I've had has been weird and awkward. Yeah, see, this is what I was slightly worried about. I was like, if I mean, feel free if you want to do your thing. I was curious if any of that triggered any interesting memories for you. But So, so I'm not going to get into, like, the, the details of any sexual encounter, any specific one. But what I will say is that I have never been comfortable in my own skin, like, ever. And when I lost my virginity, the, the girl who, who snatched it from me had to like fight my clothes off of me because I was so scared about being naked next to somebody else. It, you're making a face at me as if I were assaulted. Um, and I, I think, would just like you to clarify for the record that that wasn't what was going on. No, I was, I was an incredibly shy, voluntary participant in the act. But yeah, and I've never really... Like even now, uh, I, I'm a lot more confident, maybe more so than I've ever been in my life. But at the same time... Uh, I don't know. I'm a I'm a saggy flesh bag, and I feel like I'm victimizing whoever I put that upon. And I it's it's been consistent that ladies I've had sex with have said, "Hey, I look good naked." Um, but then what I interpret that is is as a you don't look nearly as bad naked as I thought you would. <laughs> and so that's my thing. And so when these two are having this problem, I'm like, just get what get with it. It's, join the club, you sissies. No one's having good sex out there. It's all a lie. <laughs> and I know that's not true either. <laughs> Kyle, your thoughts? I got nothing. You got no. Oh, you you set me up. Uh, well, no. I, I I well, I tried to tell you. I was like, you can talk about your sexual stuff. I am not going there. Um, and before I could even finish that sentence, you were like, well, let <laughs> hey, me hey, tell let me you. <laughs> um, no, I did think. Uh, I did sympathize for with Penny because there is that moment where she's sitting there and she's just trying to eat dinner. And then she realizes that she's in a room with a bunch of people who have all had a detail. Well, we don't know how detailed it was, but have all had some kind of conversation about what it was like 
Yes. Her having sex. And she gets, I think, a reasonable amount of uncomfortable in that situation. Yeah. Well, let's, how would that, how could that play out differently? Like, Penny doesn't leave the room. And then her and Leonard maybe go into a, a tete-a-tete of, of criticisms of each other's fucking. Uh, or maybe they both try to salvage it and boost it up while the other nerds cross-examine them on what actually happened. I don't know. It's I, Penny did the most reasonable thing, but that's why do we, we don't want people in comedies to do reasonable things. That's true. Well, I already... So this is sort of taking a different direction, but one thing I noticed that was interesting in this episode is that now that they've made the decision that uh, Leonard and Penny are a couple, which was weird because already, like, so when they're trying to talk it out, she's like, you know, this is a thing that can happen with couples. I was like, wait, are you a couple now? That that was super weird. Go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to acknowledge that I I had the same reaction. It was... (laughs) I was like, you had sex one time, so now you're automatically, you know, interrogating your whole, like, you just... I don't know. It's just they seem like they didn't necessarily seem like they were a couple from that one hookup that they had, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but also, since the show has decided that they're a couple, they've immediately put Penny in baggy clothes that cover every spare inch of flesh on her body. Did you notice that? I did not, Kyle. Explain yourself. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not trying to make it like I'm not saying they like, like, like made Was her she ugly or like pajamas. Yeah, but normally when she wears pajamas, it's like the sweatpant bottoms and like the a tank top top. Like you can see her arms. Yeah. And this one, she was wearing like the full, like like all the nerds wear. Basically, they made her her outfit consistent with the rest of them, which is you know the full like the full bodysuit with like another outfit on top. Like they all wear, like we've talked about. Like mm-hmm. they're always wearing like an extra layer of clothes. Like they put her in that too. She had this weird, these weird like tie dye sleeves thing going on. That just made her look... I mean, she... Like, it wasn't so much that she looked super frumpy. It was just, like, compared to how they normally make... They normally have her dress. It was clear that they were like, we can't have anybody thinking in this particular episode too much about how much hotter she is than Leonard. We have to make them seem, like, realistically compatible for this episode to work. So, for the record... When there's an episode where Kyle and I can't find anything particularly offensive or problematic to discuss... We instead talk about how Penny wasn't hot enough in this episode. It's not. I'm not saying she wasn't hot. I am saying that I would <laughs> bet, based on the discontinuity between how the producers of the show normally make her dress and how they make her dress in this episode, that that was a conscious choice someone yeah. was making. And there's some angry guy in the writer's room who's like, come on. You got to give him something for daddy. Well, no, all the daddies need something. Yeah, it was the opposite of that. I'm saying that guy wasn't. Well, no, in the no room. I'm saying there was. He was the one guy, and he was ever, upset. He, he got. He got voted out. Yeah. What I'm. What I'm really saying is, um, basically, what sort of Wallowitz and Raj say at the beginning of the episode, which is when he, she first says, "What well, was bad sex?" and they were like, "Well, you mean it was bad for her, right?" Because, because basically, um, what they're implying is that you know. Leonard should be so overjoyed to be having sex with someone who looks like Penny that it shouldn't really matter. Like, it's weird that he would be having sexual problems, which I don't think is true. I, I admit that it's probably really... It's actually might be more likely that you'd be super self-conscious. Deal, yeah, dealing with that pressure of having... Uh, 
to to work your way up to but that's not the direction that they go in this is no. not like they do not make it about how he is uncomfortable having sex with someone who is so much more attractive than him and instead they make it about how well these are just two normal people who have a normal relationship but in terms of how they've always framed everything up to that point that's the weird choice actually if this were in keeping with how Leonard's issues had always worked in every previous episode, it would have actually made more sense if he was like, you know, well, I saw her skin up close and I just sort of exploded and then I couldn't think about anything. You know, I had a mental breakdown. That's, just that's, that's, that's what sex sounds like to me. That's how it is for me every time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get close to their skin, I explode, I go numb, and then I have a mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm saying that's what I would have expected Leonard to be dealing with. Yeah. So you're saying me and Leonard, neither of us can have sex with hot women. Well, sorry, it's to, not doctor sorry recommended. Sorry to every woman I've had sex with, and how you are now represented on the scale of people who. Oh, I didn't mean to take it there. I was saying that it's maybe the implication. No, I was saying that they've that they were all fucked up sexual encounters because you were dating women who were so much more attractive than you. What I'm saying is, if you ever actually sexually satisfy a woman, that's going to be because she's ugly. Please cut that. Please cut that <laughs> line. It no. was a joke, but it was so... I'm not... I'm Andrew Dice Clay now. Hey. I'm the new new member of this show. <laughs> Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet, and Nick Hod doesn't know how to please women. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> that has to stay. Uh, I hate who I become sometimes on this show. It, it reveals the true you. And when I don't... That's what I don't... But I desperately don't want to be true. It's the uh, expository and improvisational nature forces you to pull words from your lizard brain. And it's, and it's just evil. It's pure evil. Uh, so anyway, um, back to the crickets. Yeah, what to say about the crickets? I, I got one good laugh from a line about Raj, which is early on in their, their hunt for the crickets. Uh, they are all... Like, p- pressing their ears up against the area next to the fridge trying to find it. And and Raj has a sullen look on his face and says, I wonder what all the non-pathetic people are doing tonight. And boy, however, that, that was a big feel for me. As someone that lives in a house in between two houses where parties are regularly happening, I, I really have to just, like, eat the fact that I am not at either of those parties or any parties or the parties I am invited to. I'm too awkward to actually follow through on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel you there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Really, really putting my heart out here this episode is how nerdy I am and how miserable and lonely I am. Well, I think I think the audience knew. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. If it helps, I am also miserable and lonely. Just, we have each other. Yeah, that's true. Uh, just, let's go look for a cricket later just to make the whole... Yeah. Um. So, Lewis Black is in this episode. I feel like we have to talk about that. Well, we have... I, I guess so, but it's... So his whole thing is the um, the, the nerds, uh, Raj Wallowitz and Sheldon, are all trying to settle their bet over whether this cricket, based on the frequency with which it chirps, is a standard field cricket or some sort of like special ice something or other cricket. Uh, Wallowitz insists it's a field cricket. Sheldon is going for the, the special cricket. They go to some entomology department or something at the university and they run into lewis black who has apparently just been let go and is assuming that the nerds are all there to ridicule him for his loss but i don't he just does his whole lewis black thing well that's i assume 
for I don't know why he was in this episode or where it was in relation to Lewis Black's career. I assume this was like he was on the upswing, like this was like near peak Lewis Black, because uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's doing his whole bit. But I basically assume that they gave the whole like budget cuts to the entomology department backstory just so they could have an excuse for him to rant. Like if he just comes out and he's just that disproportionately angry about everything. For no reason. Yeah. No, they do give him good things to be angry about. He's being let go, even though he had to trudge through the jungle for six months to find some very specific new species of dung beetle. Uh, I say very specific as any new species would not be specific. Like, I'd, I just found a new kind of fucking group of beetles, I guess. Um, and also, while he was out, uh, his wife was shacking up with a two-bit uh, ornithologist... And now, because he no longer has his departmental funding, he's going to have to go live with his daughter in Oxnard, which is a rural farming community about half an hour, an hour outside of L.A. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he does this whole thing. If you've ever seen Lewis Black, you sort of get the whole – it was sort of weird how – I mean, I imagine if I had been uh, – like, if you'd been watching this episode – back in the day that the, that was sort of the celebrity cameo that the whole advertising campaign leading up to the episode was built around like tonight with special guest star uh lewis black in which case you probably would have been a little disappointed by how little he actually is in the episode yeah but, uh, he'd, he'd be prominently featured and it would just be him screaming a two-bit ornithologist yeah um but the other thought I had that's more relevant to the actual uh in show is we finally see someone who is capable of getting through to Sheldon that he's wrong and that's what it takes like that's why I thought Lewis Lewis Black was a good choice for that because Sheldon really of course as we know about him does not like to admit he's wrong and usually if someone says he's wrong he will just argue with that person the end of the earth but Lewis Black does his whole listen up buck uh, listen up buddy thing so if you think I don't know a goddamn insect so is the is the thing then you have to be incredibly aggressive or browbeat him because it's trying to reason with him I guess is what just doesn't work, but to have Lewis Black show up and say it's a field cricket, Sheldon finds that he no longer has a a means of retorting. Well, yeah, I think that's right because we find several times in the both in his backstory but in this episode it reminds us that. Sheldon is from Sheldon is from Texas, where coercion rules over all. And Whoa, we have to talk about the Texas moment. Yeah, I weird. think I think we both we both. So Kyle taught me a new thing today, which is uh, so Wallowitz keeps talking with Raj throughout the episode about how he's never going to find a a, a shiska, shika, shiksa, shiksa princess, um, shiksa goddess, shiksa goddess, who, as Kyle informed me, um, in uh, in the Jewish community, would be. The the genteel Jezebel stealing away the good Jewish man or something like that. Wait, do you actually think it's pronounced genteel? I thought you were saying that as like a bit before. No. It's gentile. Uh, hey, okay. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying genteel for now, but I will that's, also acknowledge gentile. It's just kind of cute. Well, G- thank you. Genteel is if you're like super polite. Did you think those two things were related somehow? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the Jews were like, well, we don't like them, but they have such good manners. Well, I thought it was like a polite term to call other people who weren't Jewish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 
don't know. I got all this. I don't remember what documentary that I was watching that was like trying to explain the humor of Woody Allen and Mel Brooks. But that's like where I learned all of this humor from. It's like there's some there's some terminology you have to know. We're gonna start with a mention. We're gonna work our way through the through the words that you're going to hear. And one of them, yes, was a shiksa, which is like a a hot blonde non-Jewish girl who lures away Jewish men with her sexual wiles. Yeah. Well, and to get back to the the issue that comes up, uh, so they're debating about that, and it kind of comes out of nowhere, and I think maybe it's just a setup to make this weird joke later, which is, I think it's either Raj or Leonard keeps mispronouncing Shiksa. No, Sheldon mispronounces it. Yes. And then uh, Wallowitz comes in to correct him, and Sheldon says something like, sorry, we didn't speak Yiddish in East Texas. And if you did, you didn't do it for long. Yeah, yeah. I think it's actually, it's even more, uh, well, it's I more, It's more threatening. Yeah, he's like, Yiddish wasn't spoken in East Texas, and if it was, certainly not for long. Yeah. And, it's uh, like, and we both looked at each other, and it's like, hmm, that's a nice... Oofta. <laughs> What is going on over there? Yeesh. It's funny because ethnic cleansings, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Um, just discrimination based on dialects. Woo. So rampant anti- anti-Semitism in East Texas, which I'm sure is not a thing. No, no, not at all. Kyle, is there anything else about this episode you'd like to discuss? Um, a couple quick thoughts I'm having as long as my brain's swirling around. Uh, one of the reasons that Wallowitz feels so strongly about this is because he reveals he was one of those uh, bug collectors when he was a kid. Right. Which tracks with his whole character, but I almost, again, feel like they pass over an opportunity to be like, yes, I would st- I would relentlessly stalk the bugs and wait for a moment of weakness, and then I would pin them against the wall, you know, forever. Not that that's related to anything in my current character. I wish I could remember. I thought they made, like, a specific kind of upsetting joke maybe even in relation to shakes up well, no it's like when to prey upon and when they are prey well that yeah that he makes that but that's a separate joke yeah but what was that joke again do you remember it um he's saying we don't pray to the shiksa goddesses we pray on the shiksa goddesses there we go which yeah yeah so fucked up well i'm glad that he continues to keep up his pervasoid number one status all right wrapping it up there um we have social media find us on facebook find us on the itunes rate us on itunes big bang theory theory all over the place if you google that you're probably going to find the big bang theory and that's how we get you um now on to our nerd recommendations do you want to go or should i start i'll go i'll go first this time okay um i'm gonna recommend uh another short story collection i read that's science fiction based mostly it's ted chiang's new short story collection called uh, Exhalation, and there are other stories as well. Exhalation is one of the short stories in it, but there are several. Uh, Ted Chiang is one of like, the hottest short story science fiction writers on the planet because they're all so good. His most, uh, his biggest hit so far was he wrote one called Your Life and Other Stories, which was made, uh, or maybe it was called The Story of Your... Anyway, it was made into a movie called Arrival. So if you've seen the movie Arrival... I've seen Arrival. Uh, he writes a whole bunch of short stories. They're not all in that vein, but they do... A lot of them follow similar themes like, you know, free will is an illusion. 
uh, here are alternate, here are metaphors for different ways of thinking about science, you know, here's, but he always, you know, he gets really into, he's less fixated on the, like, what would it be like to live in a world where, like, in one of them, it's like, well, what if someone invented a software patch that allowed you to basically, instead of remembering things, it would just pull up a pre-recorded video of anything that you'd ever observed, and so you didn't really have to use your own memory anymore, you'd just be seeing it as it had been recorded, but he's less like, well, what, you know, what does society look like at that point? Then, like, what is that, how does that change your emotional ex- experiences of your own, like, relation to your past self when you can just watch, like, unedited footage of what an asshole you were that time at that party? Mm. Um, and That's so similar to that Black Mirror entire history of you episode. Have you seen that? No, I don't okay. watch Black Mirror. The first two seasons are good, and then you should probably stop, but go ahead. Well, I guess we watched Bandersnatch that time together. We did, didn't we? Uh, we got all the endings. That's something to be uh, proud of, I guess. Sorry, finish that. Now I'm just bummed out. <laughs> anyway, really recommend. It's hard to recommend them because they're all without just saying that they're good, but they're all really good. Very well written, very thoughtful, very empathetic, fun stuff. Great. And so, if you what spe- anything specific that you would recommend of his collections or. No, I mean he he only writes short stories, so there are no like novels out of his to read, and there are, he's only I mean he's written a lot of them, relatively speaking, but they've only been published in two collections. So you can either get the one that has the arrival in it, or you can have get his newest one, either which of which should be available at your local bookstore or library. Because <laughs> those are things that people still use, or they should. They I really got mine should. at the library. Nice. Um. My recommendation for this week is going back to the vault a little bit for something that is very near and dear to my heart. It is an anime. It is only six episodes long, and it is called Fooly Cooly, or just FLCL. And it's difficult to explain because it is so dense with nonsense and information that it's a show that really, I think, you have to watch multiple times to understand it. I I don't think... It makes sense if you just watch it through once because things that are happening at the beginning of the series that seem just random and weird, you'll be able to understand better once you get the full context of the show. But basically, um, it's set in a small industrial town and the main character is a boy who's probably about 15. It's been a long time since I've watched it, but I'm pretty sure his name is Nauta or Nauto. And his dad uh, runs a bakery. He's bored. He doesn't really like his life. He thinks that there's nothing to, to do in his town. It's going to be the same thing every day. And then sh- and then shows up Haruhara Haruko, this 19-year-old, spiky pink-haired, like, weird, frenetic, over-sexed, wacky lady who is, if you were, <sighs> she is the most anime manic pixie dream girl you could ever possibly imagine. And she meets up with him, takes some interest in him that is never really explained until near the episode and again, near the end of the series. And again, doesn't really make full sense without multiple viewings. But she is able to start pulling objects out of his head, out of his forehead, which will then turn into large killer robots that he must defeat. And usually in the process of defeating them, he learns a little bit more about what it's like to become an adult. <laughs> and it's it's really not worth describing beyond that because 
again, it is only six episodes and they're so dense with nonsense. It's just, they have to be seen. It's, but again, it's absolutely worth it. I love it. I've watched it over and over and over again. I want to watch it now again that I'm thinking about it. Uh, it's fun. It's something that I think is technically like an all ages anime. Like it's, is wacky and over the top is Haruhara Haruko is sexualized. Uh, it's always implied, you know, there's, it's not a weird super pervy anime or anything like that. Uh, yeah. Yes, in fact, the one time you think that he's watching her and his father have sex, it turns out they're not actually having sex. It really was just something else. Yeah, but there's also a different scene where, like, he, like, catches a glimpse of one of them, like, feeding, like, an egg yolk to the other in a weirdly sensual uh, yeah, that's manner. True. Hey, yeah. could you do me a favor? What's that? Could you just say fooly cooly? Fooly cooly? Bang a now, 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 bump, 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 bump. <laughs> That's the other thing that I I can't believe he didn't mention, which is that it has like one of the greatest anime fucking soundtracks of all time. It's fantastic. It's by a band called The Pillows. I think I can. I think I can. It's really good. Right on shooting star. Yeah. Um, Very good. I like this recommendation. I also approve. But you know, that's how it is. Sometimes you got the fooly. And sometimes you got the coolie, <laughs> and then you put them together, and you got your fooly coolie. I thought I felt silly when I was selling Jello pool pudding pops, but now I gotta get on this haru hara haru ko nonsense. And they did the they did the manga thing in the first episode, but then the budget ran out, so they didn't do it again. But they kept calling back to it. What's the deal with that? 